and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl. Well, I'm a screen guy. Oh, Pennsylvania. We love Pennsylvania. Over the next several episodes, we're headed to the city of Pittsburgh, the city of Bridges, the Steel City, the home of the 2017 Stanley Cup champions. Pittsburgh is full of political activism, especially this month, the month of May. Now, census data is still coming in, but I think everyone knows Pittsburgh has changed dramatically. At the turn of the century, meaning back in 1900, the wealthiest Americans were making their fortune in Pittsburgh. It was the eighth largest city on the continent. It accounted for half the steel made in America. It literally built our country. Now, the population shrunk. We can anticipate it's going to be about 300,000 when the census dust settles, and heavy manufacturing no longer dominates the economy. Instead, it's meds and eds that have fueled the Renaissance. That's medicine and education. And we're going to kick off this series with Julian Routh. He covers local, state, and federal politics for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and he's been with the paper for over four years. He eats, he sleeps, he breathes Pittsburgh politics, and for that matter, Pittsburgh sports. I'm looking forward to his perspective, not just on the upcoming mayor's primary, but also lessons that we all learned from last year and what we should be looking forward to this time next year. Folks, look, 18 months ago, we kicked off the campaign at Teamsters Local 249 right here in Pittsburgh. I chose Western Pennsylvania for my first stop as a candidate. And now for my last stop before Election Day. Julian Routh, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you very much for having me. Julian, you are more than most deeply familiar with city, state and federal politics uh, affecting Pittsburgh, Allegheny County and uh, the broader uh, swath of the Pittsburgh media market. How how did you get your start? (laughs) That's a really good question and and one that um, I kind of have to think back to answer. Uh, I was born and raised here in uh, Western Pennsylvania, right in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, started off as a breaking news slash crime slash digital reporter. And then as soon as, you know, the Trump election started to heat up, I had um, done some work at the Wall Street Journal as a lowly intern and got really interested in naturally in politics and eventually worked my way up to becoming the political reporter. And now I'm I'm stuck in this mess with with no way of getting out. And at least it's getting a little bit quieter uh, post-2020, uh, but, um, you know, hey, I'm in it to stay, and I'm on your wonderful podcast. So uh, let's take a look back at 2020 for a bit, and there's so much to unpackage, uh, and and we won't, uh, although the dust, I still think, six months later is, is still settling. What was your biggest surprise covering the 2020 election? Yeah, obviously, lots of focus from both campaigns, both presidential campaigns, was devoted uh, to the city of Pittsburgh and then the surrounding uh, counties. Well, uh, what, yeah. what, what surprised you most? I mean, you had a front row seat to all of this. I, I would say that my biggest surprise was the sheer amount of times that we saw, uh, particularly then President Trump come amid uh, a global pandemic that was um, obviously 
not conducive to holding in-person rallies. I would say that that was the most surprising part. But actually, the most surprising part to me after all was just the way that Biden's performance ended up being just as we imagined over here in the western part of the state, just as every political pontificator and official uh, on this side of the state had predicted, he didn't have the same struggles that Hillary Clinton had in 2016. And it seemed like his campaign heeded the warnings from people like Allegheny County Executive Rich Fitzgerald, who said, hey, you can't just come here to this county. You have to go to all the other six surrounding counties. You have to go up to Erie. And this is a big deal. Um, and I think it showed in the results. I mean, Biden flipped Erie. You know, he he performed really well in the surrounding counties, and and not you know obviously close enough to win, but enough to shave off some of the uh, the margins there. And so yeah, I think it just surprised me to show that conventional wisdom did kind of shake out at the end. And just to remind listeners, uh, you know, it seems like twenty years ago, but uh, two years ago, right around now, then Vice President candidate Biden's first uh, stop was uh, right there in, in your backyard at a union hall. Yeah, and I was I was at that Teamsters Hall that day and I remember it, you know it was about a week of uh, Biden's, you know, kind of leaking things to the press saying he is going to run, he's not going to run. No one was really sure. I think he was floating the idea and then yeah, he started in Pittsburgh and he ended in Pittsburgh too. The the night before the election he came and did an event with uh, Lady Gaga and you know it was it was this big flashy appeal at the end of the election and then I ended up writing the next day or, you know, a week later, whenever it was, you know, firm that he was going to win that, you know, Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh in particular had paid him back for, you know, all the times that he seemed to show a focus in our city and in our side of the state. So he's certainly, uh, you know, uh, always here. It seemed like he would have been here more had it not been for COVID-19, but start and finish. You know, when I talk to a lot of folks, what they're surprised about, I- I'm not surprised. I don't think you're surprised or you, uh, the folks who live in the city of Pittsburgh are surprised, but that Bernie Sanders did an in-person rally and has quite a following. But his rally, as I recall, was one of the final, uh, was the last week of October. And he had John Fetterman and others there in, in the city of Pittsburgh. But if you could speak to the, the progressive community and kind of progressive energy uh, in recent years in in Pittsburgh and certainly surrounding, I think that for a lot of our listeners in, in New York and D.C. and even Philadelphia, that, that that's a big surprise. Well, that's a really good question. And actually, um, we, we had a really strong Democratic Socialist of America presence here, especially from post-2016 into like 2019. And then there was some leadership shakeups there. So the actual official presence of the DSA hasn't been as plentiful. But, you know, uh, progressives in Pittsburgh and in the surrounding area in Western Pennsylvania have ratched up huge wins over here. I mean, they've taken down long-term incumbents. We had two progressive women sweep to the state house over a political legacy institution in a democratic primary a couple of years ago. We've had, you know, the at-large county council seat flipped to a progressive backed by the DSA who beat a, you know, three decades plus incumbent uh, in an institutional name in the Democratic Party. They've certainly backed up their talk over here, and you're going to see it in this in this mayor's race too. Although maybe not as stark as some of the past uh, you know wins they've had, I still think they're waiting for the really big one. But the momentum's there; they're they're everywhere, and they're very very vocal. You know, it's not like a light bulb just switches on. What do you attribute this to? Is this certain policy issues? You know, I don't think it was certain personalities that you're referencing. I mean, it was across the board with with multiple campaigns for different offices. But where, where, where did this percolate? And when do you think this started? 
if you go back to just the very beginning of the victories and you know how they were able to beat these incumbents, they actually were backed by people like Bernie Sanders, who were starting this national movement and picking up national attention in the 2016 presidential election. And I think, you know, it, it, when you look at Pittsburgh and the way it's just changed over the past couple of decades from this, you know, sort of desolate and, and grounded steel town that was losing jobs and losing population to a city that's losing a little bit less population, but a center for, you know, eds and meds. And and I, I think there was a huge uh, focus from progressives and there was a new block of the Democratic Party that was saying that this change wasn't for everybody and that they should... Um, you know, the party should refocus its effort on people who, you know, are real working class voters and real people who have um, you know, actual policy goals than just this old Democratic establishment that had seen this change through. And I, I just always think what's incredible. And look, I'll, I'll admit I'm from the lesser half of the state. I'm from Allentown uh, in Lehigh County. But I've always been intrigued just by the diversity that within a one hour radius of the city of Pittsburgh, you have some uh, just the political diversity. You have some of the most diehard and devoted Make America Great crowd, uh, as you referenced uh, with the, the sheer number of rallies uh, that the president, uh, former president and his family had. And then you have just such a tradition of organized labor and uh, increasingly, as you're saying, uh, led by meds and eds, transplants from Chicago, New York and, and elsewhere. And it's just it's really incredible within a one hour radius, the diversity, the demographics and the, uh, the economy. And I, I mean, I will see as the census data continues to uh, to come out, but I imagine that the region will lose population, but the city of Pittsburgh will probably stay the same and the diversity in terms of ethnicity will probably uh, uh, only grow. That's exactly true with the census data. And I see that's just, um, you know, it's just starting to come out and it's, it's you know, in this process now. But I will say, it, you know, from what you were saying, it, it was a journalist's dream, especially politically to be able to be over here in, well, one, I'm in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. So I'm seeing that, uh, you know, the suburban voter that everybody's talking about over and over again. And then you take a 30 minute drive and you can be, you know, literally in the middle of Trump country with the famous Trump house. And, um, you know, you're up there near the airports with the rallies and then you come back down and you can go to, um, you know, the, the, the bar at night in Lawrenceville in the city of Pittsburgh and, and talk to progressives at a DSA, you know, meet and greet. It's really just a, really good cross-section here that I hope doesn't go away anytime soon and just keeps diversifying. Yeah, I think you got it easier than your counterparts at the Inquirer. They got to they gotta drive a lot longer <laughs> and uh, arguably battle more traffic to, uh, to get that kind of diversity, unless they want to cross the Delaware and go into South Jersey. But that's neither here nor there. So uh, what issues did you see uh, last year, or let's even back up, as this DSA wave, if I'm describing it correctly, was was percolating in some of the state house and state senate uh, seats that you referenced? I mean, were there certain public policy issues? And then to what degree do these issues persist? And do you anticipate that they'll dominate the 2022 primaries? I think you saw, I would say, three big issues sort of start to take the shape, especially when it comes to the state representatives who ousted the long-term Democratic incumbents um, in, in the Mon Valley and in the surrounding areas. I, I think one what was healthcare, and this goes right along with what Bernie Sanders was, was, was saying the entire time. You know, they ran on access to, to cheap and, and universal health care, um, you know, you know, one or the other. And then you, have, you had fracking as well um, show up. And that that is still to this day, every time there's a fracking issue or any time that there's talk about petrochemical development, because we had the new cracker plant up in Beaver County that's, you know, it, that attracted a lot of political attention nationwide. You do see that split bear out. 
and I, Pittsburgh is such an interesting area in Western Pennsylvania. So interesting because it has a, a pretty large fracking presence. It's not as large as some would believe, uh, you know, the, the former president would say, but, you know, these candidates came in and, and were able to run on environmental issues that this labor organization passed sort of never heard. And, and third, I think that the big one too is, you know, we have the, the, the largest nonprofit entity in the entire universe here in UPMC. It's a giant. It's not just a hospital network. It's an absolute giant that has been fighting with the city for years now. And, and, you know, you saw progressive candidates and you're seeing it this time in the mayoral's race call out officials for, you know, maybe being too submissive to UPMC's wills and not treating them like the giant that they are. So I think those were a couple of the issues, but you know, they, every time you see a political split here, I think this, the progressives offer a very good balance. Well, a bit to unpackage there, and we have uh, listeners uh, from all over the Commonwealth and New York, D.C. and elsewhere. So just uh, Mon Valley, you're referencing the Monongahela River, and then the Cracker Plant, if you could speak to that. And I'm not a chemist. I don't think our listeners are chemists. But so with skipping over uh, ethylenes and propylenes and other such things, if you could just reference that, because it is uh, uh, really a monumental uh, economic development project, but certainly has detractors. Correct. And I, I am by no way an expert in, in fracking or petrochemical development. But what I will say is that, um, you know, the formation of this, this huge shell cracker plan, which is expected to employ so many people and was, you know, making a product that, you know, is just filling up the world in, in ultra modern fashion. What it has done, has, it has drawn political lines in the sand. I mean, you saw the mayor of Pittsburgh, a rather progressive mayor for, you know, the first couple of years and then, you know, extended, you know, a a little bit of debate over that. But he came out and said that, you know, he would oppose any petrochemical development like this cracker plant anywhere else in in the area or in Allegheny County. And he split with his, you know, longtime ally, who's the county executive over here, and the labor unions that have backed the mayor too. So it's caused a lot of concern. It's caused a lot of uh, political splits. And the president had visited here. Trump was a, a really big fan of the cracker plan and used it as a way to say that there were millions and millions of fracking jobs, which really there weren't. There were a fraction as many at that point. Uh, but but yeah, uh, that's that's what's going on, on over here in Western Pennsylvania. And, and to be clear, and I think this was, it just demonstrates uh, how uh, dominant these issues are. Uh, you don't often see elected officials weigh in when it's out of their jurisdiction. Uh, this cracker plan is not in the city of Pittsburgh. It's not even in uh, the county of Allegheny, but it certainly uh, uh, affects the the political discussion across the whole region and across the whole state. And as you're referencing with President Trump's visit across the nation as well. And then let's uh, we're going to dive into the mayor's race. But what when you're referencing UPMC, that's the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. It's a nonprofit, uh, although a fairly large nonprofit. But if you could just unpackage that a little bit more, they certainly play a role, a huge, huge role in the economy uh, of uh, not only Pittsburgh, but the Commonwealth as a whole. So I know the answer. I I think some of our uh, listeners might know the answer, but what's the controversy? Well, uh, thank you for for clarifying for for your audience uh, some of what's, you know, some of these terms mean. Um, Yes, UPMC is a a nonprofit giant in the healthcare industry and operates a number of hospitals and sort of controls the landscape over here in a lot of ways. The controversy is, is that when uh, our mayor came in, and we can get into some of this, but at large, there are officials who 
believe that UPMC should operate just as it is, as just a, you know, any old nonprofit and should be given leeway and, you know, it does good for the city and it sort of trickles down to everybody else around it. But there's a new wave of candidates who are calling for UPMC to pay their fair share of taxes and to, you know, when they develop, to develop equitably and develop with, you know, community benefit agreements. They've been fighting with the unions and, you know, healthcare workers for a long time now. There hasn't been much progress in terms of uh, unions and workers getting what they want. So I think they're looking for a candidate to make a big splash to, to sort of fight for some of these measures. So we're on the eve of what arguably is the most contentious Pittsburgh mayor's race in a generation. What are the underlying issues? Is, is it this? Is it UPMC? Or what, is it the other themes around energy that you were talking about? Or what are you hearing uh, from average everyday voters and then from the candidates? We, we are on the eve. And this, by the way, is between the sitting two-term mayor, uh, Bill Peduto, a Democrat versus a state representative, a very popular state representative over on this part of the state, Ed Ganey, who has the backing of a lot of progressive organizations and a lot of the unions that would oppose some of the traditional union backing on our mayor's side. I see there being two main issues in this campaign. Um, one is affordable housing. Pittsburgh is, is still in an affordable housing crisis at this point. Um, there are just simply not enough of it. And uh, Ed Ganey has come in and basically accused the mayor of letting developers come into the city and just uh, do exactly whatever they want to do. And even if it's to the detriment of the community, while other communities get completely left behind, they get no investment. So he he's sort of pitching a new balance between, uh, you know, investing and also keeping the community equitable. Uh, the mayor is leaning into some of his accomplishments on that front. Uh, he's created an affordable housing uh, opportunity fund for the first time in the city's history. And like other issues, you know, he, he leans into things like that. I also think uh, the other big issue here, and you've, you've seen it probably um, across the nation everywhere, is community police relations. This is a city that has seen a wave of protests, just like any other city. But uh, in our city, the, the incumbent mayor actually had a protest. He got people, uh, you know, people were at his house protesting last year in the wake of the George Floyd incident, uh, where activists were calling on him to you know, pursue some police reforms. It ended with activists in the park nearby getting pepper sprayed on video by police officers, which caused an outcry in the community among activists and officials alike. So that's become a huge issue in the election because, um, you know, the, the lawmakers challenging Peduto says that he has lost control of the department. The department is not doing enough in de-escalation and demilitarization of equipment. And they can't even discipline officers because of, uh, you know, a state act that limits them. Um, Peduto, on the other hand, is once again, leaning into his, his accomplishments and saying that he's created different units and programs to de-escalate force. And he says violent crime's gone down, homicides gone down, uh, arrests have gone down. He thinks it's uh, you know, uh, pretty successful across the board and that you shouldn't judge Pittsburgh based on what you've seen elsewhere. It's affordable housing and policing, those are the big issues. Look, we can't talk about policing without uh, remembering and recognizing the courage of uh, the officers who were there on that, that awful day in October 2018 with the Tree of Life massacre. Uh, so what I'm hearing, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but here you have a, a local race that very much has local issues, uh, such as UPMC, but has uh, all these kind of national uh, wins that are also swirling and affecting uh, uh, the posture of the candidates and then certainly voters. 
Yes, you're absolutely correct. And um, I want to share your sentiment about the officers of Tree of Life. Of course, this is a city that, um, you know, uh, is able to have this debate in a very nuanced fashion. And I do appreciate it to work in the city, of course. You're absolutely right that this is a proxy for for a lot of the big issues and policing is one of them. But another one would be just equity. I mean, the idea of equity between black and white, this is both candidates readily admit this. There are two Pittsburghs. There is a black Pittsburgh and a white Pittsburgh. You even hear the incumbent mayor who's been here for eight years concede just that. And in terms of how we grow equitably, another huge issue that I just wrote about recently is how we recover from COVID-19 as a city financially in an equitable fashion. We're going to get $354 million in relief funds. A huge chunk of that is going to be as soon as the new mayor takes over, whether that's Peduto or Ganey. And they're going to be tasked with negotiating with council on how to deploy that money, a lot of it, in a very you know, equitable manner. That's what activists are calling for. That's what officials are calling for, uh, you know, new investments. And that, that's playing out all over the country, too. So it's a very interesting race in that in that manner, and that you know it is a proxy for a lot of issues, and it's it's definitely nationalized more than it is this local. Um, you know, they're not talking about streets as much and paving as you'd expect. Let me ask you because you, you reference council. If you can give listeners, so once again, we have a lot of, a lot of listeners uh, outside of Pittsburgh. A reminder: how many uh, city council men and women are there, and generally, what has Mayor Peduto's relationship been uh, over the years with council? That's a great question. There are nine members on our city council. It's uh, obviously all Democrat, uh, you know, here in Pittsburgh, uh, in the dark blue nature. It has had a very close relationship with the mayor over the last eight years. Um, his Mostly his council allies have been the ones who have won the council presidency position. Uh, he has an ally in there now. The dissenting voices to the administration, you know, there's, there's a couple of them, but it's very, you know, weighted criticism. They work together very well and accomplish things together. But, you know, uh, there, there are splits at times. There's been splits over policing. There's been splits over affordable housing. But, you know, it is a surprise. They do get along very well. And, uh, you know, eight of them have endorsed Mayor Peduto for re-election, which includes some that have been critical of him in the past. And uh, there's been one councilwoman to endorse his challenger. And w- which part of the city does she represent? Uh, she represents Lawrenceville and the eastern, or I'm sorry, uh, the yeah, the eastern part of the city. I, I lost track of my east and west. And that's where a lot of luxury development has come into her district. So she is right on the front lines of the gentrification issue. She's She represents neighborhoods that even our mayor will admit have been gentrified and are, are problem areas. So she, when she endorsed Ed Ganey, the challenger, she cited affordable housing as, as you know, people getting priced out of their neighborhoods. And that's why, you know, she supported the challenger, but she is always, her name's Deb Gross. She's always been critical of Peduto. I guess this was expected on a lot of fronts, but yeah, at the same time, Peduto has been able to firm up that council support. I know it's kind of awkward if he wins and, uh, you know, you weren't supporting him, but yeah, eight of nine. Now, your editors have you also focused on uh, uh, national politics, and uh, Congressman Mike Doyle just got a challenger, a name that uh, some listeners might know, someone who challenged him uh, previously, as I recall. But if you can give us a preview or a sense of that race, uh, obviously, uh, we're a year out, but uh, are there similar themes that you anticipate or are already hearing? Yeah, so so Mike Doyle, um, who is the longest-serving member of Congress from Pennsylvania, he is facing the same challenger as he did last year at this time. Um, his name is Jerry Dickinson. 
He is to the left of, of Mike Doyle. He's a progressive. Well, first of all, he's a University of Pittsburgh law professor who does a lot of work with uh, homelessness and representing tenants in eviction proceedings on the side. Uh, he's a yeah, he's an established lawyer. So what he believes in is that he's calling out the incumbent, and this is very much a, a proxy too for some of the national issues we're seeing. He's calling out the incumbent for not being a transformational leader in a time that you could make a stand on things like the Green New Deal. You can make a stand on policing. You can make a stand on the environment in general. And he believes that you know now that the Democrats have a lot more power in Washington than the last time he ran, this is a time where a, where a sitting congressman can just go out and make some you know real bold changes and try to push the agenda from the bully pulpit. So same challenger. He didn't perform, I think, as well as everybody thought he would last time. He comes at it with a money disadvantage, of course, uh, you know, facing a long time incumbent. But hey, the second time around, I think he's going to be able to drum up more support. Uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd assume, and it, it should be interesting. That's a, a year, arguably 10 months down the road, and we'll have to have you back on, Julian, to talk about that. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Before uh, uh, we part ways, what are you going to be looking for in the uh, the final week and uh, then on election day? And, and for that matter, do you think we're going to have an answer on this mayor's primary by midnight, or is it going to take a while uh, uh, longer? That was going to be my answer of, of what I'm looking for on election day is how the administration of the actual election is going to go because our county, very large county, was actually able to count ballots rather quickly in 2020. Some things have changed over here. Uh, the procedures are a little bit different. They haven't held as many uh, you know election board meetings as maybe they could have. There are still a lot of questions, but they seem prepared. So I'm, I, I think we're going to get results rather quickly. I'm most interested to see where the you know well, well one what the margin of uh, victory is and in what areas, because there are strengths that Peduto has. He, he's a really big, uh, you know, East End uh, performer, which is the East End of Pittsburgh. Um, there's some of the more, I guess, affluent and, you know, income heavy neighborhoods. And I'm also interested to see there is a third candidate, a third notable candidate named Tony Moreno. He's a retired police officer who I'm interested to see who he takes votes away from because Conventional wisdom would say it, it would harm a challenger to an incumbent. You know, if you're a challenger, you want very few other challengers. But Tony Moreno actually, you know, he he seems more like a Peduto. He seems more like the incumbent than he does the challenger. So I'm interested to see how that plays out as well. But uh, hey, thank you very much for having me on, though. And this was a very fun to talk. You bet, Julian. Thanks for the work you're doing. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. As Hillary Clinton used to say, it takes a village. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Sarah McGrath and Jake Schwartz. If you liked this discussion, we would love for you to give us a review, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a suggestion on a future guest and other feedback, visit our website, papoliticspodcast.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at PA Political Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.